Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and hello and welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 111-111. And joining me in MotorWeek's uh, central studio C, our writer, Brian Robinson. It's a real pleasure to be here, John. Our assistant producer, Greg Carlos. Hey there. And our writer, Patrick Lucas. That's right. According to this, I'm the same rank as Brian. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Brian also, I should say... We're no ranks. No ranks here. There's no just, ranks uh, here, yeah. uh, but Brian also does all of our two-wheeling segments as well. He requested that he have his title shortened. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I thought it was well. too much for you to say, John. <laughs> I got you. Looking out for you. All right. Uh, looking down our podcast uh, must-do list, we're certainly going to have a lightning round question. We've got a viewer question, but... You know, this is the time of year where we pick our best and we award our Motor Week Drivers Choice Awards. We just awarded our 215 awards, our 2015 awards at the Chicago Auto Show. And if you'd like a full list of them, please go to our website, motorweek.org. However, we're going to talk about uh, some of the winners here and talk about our best of the year. So what are our DCA awards all about? Well, really, we pick out of the 150 or so vehicles that come through our uh, parking lot every year, the cars that not only we think stand out above the rest, but the driving aspect has to be play a very important part in uh, our picks. And we do try and pick awards for just about every vehicle classification. Uh, if there's not something new in a classification, we'll skip it. But when we try to make sure that if any kind of a car buyer looks at our driver's choice list, they know what we think is the top vehicle in that segment. Having said that, um, we pick the awards uh, a couple of months before we actually present them, uh, and we are sworn to secrecy, but it's all out now. So let me go around the table and, and sort of ask each of you, uh, looking down our list, and with the exclusion of our best of the year, are there any vehicles in there that you think um, need extra special uh, recognitions or one that you are particularly fond of? Who wants to start? Uh, I'll throw a couple out there. Okay. The uh, <clears throat> Volkswagen Golf, our best small car, was definitely the easiest no-brainer. On the, I don't think we debated one bit we about didn't. that one. Everyone, that was unanimous, like right off the bat. Probably the biggest surprise would be maybe the Charger, Dodge Charger's best sports sedan. Uh, Why? Know, uh, well, most people are, you know, when they think sports sedan, they're going to think something European. Um, but, you know, seven horse, 700 horsepower Hellcat pretty much sealed the deal with that one. But, you know, it also, and everybody else chime in, I mean, we took it to Roebling Road, and everybody was surprised, despite its size and everything, how well it did. For sure. That's why I won our award. Uh, Patrick, let me go back over to you, for, or go back to you for a second. Right. The Golf GTI. You like them, oh yeah. But you know, besides the fact that they, it's it's all new, was there something else that stood out about it? Because this is a uh, this is a big deal giving it to the new Golf and GTI combined. Um, I don't know. You know, the, it's the styling. I know everyone talks about it's on that brand new uh, the MQB architecture or whatever um the styling didn't seem vastly different from last year or the year before it i mean I know they never yeah. do <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so i mean it's not didn't win the award for its looks department but um i don't know just driving it now that we have the long-term gti's in we're cycling through those um 
the just, variety of powertrains. Exactly, very impressive. and when you spend you spend every day with it, you just you there's more and more I like about it every time I drive it. Which I guess I mean you can kind of account for in the voting, but it's just one of those things that I don't know. You just get in it and then you like it. Greg, what stands out about the Drivers' Choice Awards for you this year? Um, yeah, they pretty much took my answer to GTI. So. Well, go ahead. You're you can, you can chime Greg. in. Something else? Uh, no. Well, just to expand upon what um, Patrick had said and what what you were uh, wondering about, I think the interior has gone up uh, in terms of uh, just what you're getting. Uh, it's a lot closer to an Audi uh, than a Volkswagen, I think, in the, in the new Golf. Uh, you see a lot of Audi inside, which is always a good thing. Um, but I'll go ahead and switch on to something else. Uh that's eco-friendly, actually. Uh, Kia Soul EV, I got to drive that one um, ahead of you guys, and I came back with a pretty glowing review of it. And I think when you guys finally got it in and got to drive it, you said, um, well, thankfully you guys backed me up, and yeah. we found that it, was, <laughs> it actually was the, 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 the best one in that category. So what, what, but what, since you did have the first drive of it and you came away wowed, I mean, it wasn't the fact it wasn't the actual drivetrain itself, I and mean, it was the the package. Yeah, I think I'm just, and I've said it before. I'm just, I for some reason I'm a Kia Soul fan. Uh, it's just something quirky about it that makes me like it. It's a little bit different. It's the oddball, which uh, which I think is cool. So yeah, the overall package. It's not. It doesn't scream EV, mm-hmm. which is always nice. And it's actually, uh, I mean, pretty useful. You got Very a lot of space useful, inside, yeah. and it actually drives pretty nice with such a low center of gravity. I mean. It's not a performance car, but you can certainly have a little bit of fun in it. Yeah, it's the first time we've given our eco-friendly to a strictly EV, you know, usually hybrids. Yep. Are, uh, that one, so. uh, I want to single out um, best pickup truck, the Ford F-150. I, I really think this is a watershed truck, and we said in our road test and, and our reviews that you know, when you look back 50 years from now about when the American pickup truck changed from being basically – I hate to say gas hog, but let's say gas hog into something that at least uh, recognizes uh, where the future might be as far as resources. Uh, you know, 700 pounds less weight because of aluminum. That's what's gotten all the headlines. A good jump in fuel economy. Some people say they're disappointed. I'm not sure what they expected since it's still a very capable truck. But I think more so than that, when you drive it, it just drives like a new generation. It, it drove lighter, more agile, yet still felt uh, like a, a big, you know, solid uh, pickup truck. So I really do think it's a watershed vehicle. Yeah. You think it's – sorry, Greg. Hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you Take it easy, guys. Come yeah. on. We got plenty of time. We got time. time. Fighting, fighting off, off mic. Um, you think it's going to – push uh, those other competitors to go aluminum? I think eventually it will have to for the simple reason that there's only so much fuel economy gain you can get out of small engines and going diesel. Um, you know, the rumor is that Chevrolet and GM are doing a crash program out at it. A lot depends on the political environment. Uh, right now, the the uh, corporate average fuel economy goals that the car makers have to meet, meet through 2020 is pretty much set. It could stop after that. Sort of depends on who gets uh, elected in 2016. Uh, but you know, car makers can't just sit around and wait for that. But I actually do think that larger vehicles, both SUVs and pickup trucks, have a lot of aluminum in their future. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's a given. What about some of the other uh, categories? Uh, I'll jump in on best performance car, Alfa Romeo 4C. Unusual um, pick for I us. I forgot to mention that one. That was, uh, I mean, if you would have told me that, you know, in 2014 I would have been driving a, uh, 
you know, a car without power steering, I would have been like, whoa. <laughs> but uh, I probably might even said something more than whoa. I don't know. <laughs> you know that was I don't tame. really say whoa too much. <laughs> you don't anyway, say whoa too much. But no, it was just a throwback, just thrill machine. I mean, it just looking at it, yeah, it's great to look at, but just getting in and drive it the, uh, is good. Um, Unlike the uh, best small car, I think we actually had some debate over this one, though. I mean, oh, yeah, as much yeah. as everyone, I think, liked the Alfa Romeo, it was a little bit – it's also – I mean, it's a four-cylinder engine. Yeah, it it's didn't not have the, the most, big motor or the, the twin car, turbos. But or, it was so much fun to drive, and yeah. that's why – I mean, I was four the entire time. So, I mean, I think that's what eventually – uh, came to play at the end was just how much fun everyone really had. And have you noticed how he, he just slipped in that little superiority uh, comment <laughs> right there? Well, <laughs> he's the first one to drive everything. No, but performance cars are always one of the toughest categories because yeah. there's so many definitions to performance. You know, straight line or track or, or whatever, and then you get the price. Do you factor price in or not, or do you go all out performance? So uh, yeah, it's always a fun category. Uh, a couple categories that we haven't talked about. One I think surprised some people: best family sedan, Subaru Legacy. Why did we pick that? Well, actually, I drove that first. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There we go. No, no um, Mister Practical yeah. over there. No, I mean, yeah, it kind of, it definitely looks like everything else in the. It definitely looks like everything else in the uh, midsize, you know, family sedan segment, but. I think it's a big step up for the legacy. And in case you're hearing all that yeah. banging in your background, it's not <laughs> us finding it here. We're actually it's a at a construction sound. site. <laughs> right. um, yeah, it's a big step up for the legacy. I thought it was really nice inside, not just for a Subaru, but for that whole mm-hmm. uh, segment. And um, a lot of good features. And I think it's the first time we ever really felt that the legacy was on par and maybe a little bit better than uh, Camry and Accord mm-hmm. and the rest of the, the, the usual suspects. Um and, of course, it has all-wheel drive standard, and they even boosted fuel economy. I mean, they did a great job. Yeah, the all-wheel drive was always their, uh, you know, trump card. But then you were always, you know, apologizing for them in some way. You know, it's not as nice as, as the, the Camry and this, but, but it's got a wheel drive, you know, and this and that. But it's got a wheel Now it's kind of got the full package going for it. Uh, best um, luxury sedan. That was kind of a surprise because we sat around debating about all the new stuff that's out in that category, and yet we ended up giving it to the Cadillac CTS the second years. It was like a light bulb came on and say, wait a minute, are these really better than the CTS? And, and our answer was no. Anything else? (laughs) Okay, now let's get on to uh, best sport coupe, uh, Ford Mustang. And in case you haven't been paying attention, that's also our best of the year. Why, folks? I mean, we're, we single, we've singled the Mustang out before when they've done an all-new car, but what sets this time, this Mustang, this sixth generation apart from the others? Well, they had big plans with it. You know, they told us way in advance, you know, this was going to be a world Mustang. It was going to have turbo four power and independent rear and all this stuff. And, you know, really when every car, any car gets that much hype, it rarely lives up to it. But uh, I think the Mustang certainly did. How about you two? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, it's just a very good car all around. I mean, the, what that independent rear does on a track and, and everything else, you still got that five liter Coyote. It's just a great engine. Loves to rev. Um, it's there. There's really not many complaints out of me about it. So I think, yeah, then in that category, easy, easy choice. I thought it was a good evolution of styling too. Um, when you look at it, just it looks 
new. I mean, I know they've been going. Still looks like a Mustang. But right, it, looks it still looks like a Mustang, but it looks very new. It looks you're like wow, that's a good looking car, and it, it does have that world kind of almost European appeal to it. Just it looks fast, and and you know the four cylinder turbo is back, and it makes sense for world markets, if not for here. And frankly, it was it's been a surprise, uh, but all the way around, the car just basically wowed us, and we thought. You know, switch from switch gear to sheet metal to powertrain. Um, they just did a thorough job. And as we said in our test, really it kind of jumps out of the pony car class and into the pure sports car class where, where you know, you've got things like Corvettes and Vipers. And I'm not saying it's there yet, but it's basically on that road. Yeah, it's certainly headed in that direction. Yeah. Okay, our... 2015 Motor Week Drivers Choice Awards. If you didn't catch uh, our episodes on TV, be sure to take a look at them on our website along with a full list. Uh, we're very pleased with the list this year. We're going to, and there's quite a few of them that we did not mention, so to get the full list, uh, that's where you go. Let's move on, though, to other things in this podcast. Um, we're up next is. Um, our lightning round. Now, this is the thing. This is where we have two minutes to discuss a topic. And hopefully it's something that's trending, and I think you, you'll agree this one is. Uh, when the time's up, uh, Patrick uh, hits the bell, and we probably should stop talking at that time, and sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. Okay. Here we go. We've covered falling gas prices before. If you're like our area, they've gone down and come back up a little bit. Um, they've, they actually have fallen more since the last time that we talked here. Truck sales are through the roof, and alt fuel and EV sales have stalled. Surely, surely prices won't stay low forever. Are people impulsively buying trucks or other low-fuel economy vehicles and ignoring a possible future when they go back up? Do you think people are crazy? What's going on here? Is this why the market is so tough to predict? Go. I mean, is it strictly due to fuel sales, or is it just the fact that there's a bunch of new pickup trucks out now and hardly any new all-fuel vehicles out there? What's your I mean, opinion? Uh, I think it has less to do with fuel prices than people think. But uh, sure, people, yeah, people do pay attention to that. But um, as far as if I'm buying a car, I don't really pay attention to that so much. I, if I need a truck, I buy a truck. If I need an SUV, I buy an SUV. I'm not just monitoring fuel prices and deciding on what car I need based on those. I think there's a large population of people who do impulsively buy stuff i mean i think <laughs> i think it's actually probably a majority most people probably do when they see the low gas prices they're like oh well it'll probably stay this way forever so <laughs> just let's, go, like, let's go out and buy nice. you know anything i want pessimistic um, view yeah. yeah but yeah well yeah but um there there is still a portion of people who and i think i would include myself in this category it's it's if you want to continue to save money i mean you're still the, the gas prices are low yeah but you could also get a a you know, great fuel economy vehicle and still save even more money so like, i mean well, to me the that's f-150 how I would with the f-150 with the twin turbo six and the new six i mean yeah they're pretty efficient vehicles yeah, i don't think the fuel prices are necessarily pushing people to buy like trucks mm-hmm. and stuff like that but i think in the back of their head they might have like subconsciously registering, you know, gas is pretty cheap. It's not going to kill me every time right. I go to the pump. I think you're probably absolutely right. I think the only part that really disturbs me is that I'm hearing from fleet buyers that all of a sudden their plans to buy alternative fuel and natural gas and all that 
Now they're looking at that again, and some of them are canceling it. Hmm. And you expect a business to not be so impulsive and to look longer term. And some are, but a lot of them aren't. And I think that is a little disturbing. Yeah, it seems like a very sure. knee jerk kind yeah. of reaction. Especially when they can probably get a better deals on the uh, alt fuel vehicles now. Absolutely. Well. Uh, Everybody would like to, to move them out. And that's our time, and uh, that was, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably keep coming back to this as uh, gas prices uh, seesaw, but um, for now, some impulse, but maybe not for smart people. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about a viewer question. This is from Bill. Okay, with all the recalls recently, recently he wonders, what will be the responsibility of vehicle manufacturers when their cars are old? I would think that there should be a time limit on safety complaints or components. I drive a 92 Ford truck. My last car was a 74 Dodge Charger. Boy, Bill, they don't make, they don't, they don't make much money out of you. Uh, I don't blame the car companies for anything that breaks. Why don't the manufacturers fight these recalls and lawsuits for older cars? How do the feds and owners expect them to be covered? Most vehicle owners are ignorant about mechanical devices of any sort and do not maintain their vehicles properly. What do you say? I say it's a matter of public opinion, and it it no longer matters how old a vehicle is. How about do you agree yeah, with that? I mean, I, yeah, I would have had a different opinion. Like when the uh, Jeep Cherokee stuff came out mm-hmm. with the fuel tanks. I mean, those things were twenty years old. They were rusted, rusted yeah. buckets. And I would have said, you know, why in the world would you know Chrysler want to uh, take care of that? But then you know, people start complaining and saying they, they go on social media. People, yeah, and all of a sudden you gotta you gotta take care of it. It's it's unfortunate, but uh, it's just is, the way it is. Is it like a you know an all in kind of thing? Like where is it like all inclusive or? Something small, like your seatbelt uh, assembly goes wrong in your 80s car. And if you, it's a safety item? Right. If it's a safety item, if it's like a big deal, if people are dying from it, I, guess, I mean, are you saying that they should? I think that, that the old way of thinking, say from my generation, was that, you know, vehicle out of warranty, maybe it's 10 years old, mm-hmm. you don't know how it's been maintained, you know, the, or 150, 200,000 miles, the automaker could say, hey... You know, it's not my problem anymore because you do that with almost anything else you buy. True. But nowadays, with all the bad publicity, because we are talking in most cases fatalities, I don't think there's a time limit anymore. I know in the aircraft business, there's no time limit. Uh, they've uh, There have been plenty of cases in the last 10 years where they've gone back and looked at airplanes that are 30, 40, and some, in one case 50 years old, and still basically demanded they go in and get that the manufacturer fix problems. Yeah, but they're constantly updating, getting right. updated too, and and it's mandated that they get updated every year. Do you think we'll get a point where every owner has to bring in their car for a safety check every year? Well, that seems to have stalled. I think yeah. if you'd asked me at one point, I thought that was going to happen. I grew up in a state, North Carolina, that basically started doing a yearly safety inspection, even though it was rudimentary back in, geez, I guess the '60s. But um, I just think that if you've got Something. I think automakers have resigned themselves to the fact that if you've got a safety recall, that there's basically no real time limit on it. Maybe it's 20 years now instead of 10, but it, right now I'm not sure uh, that any of them can afford to just walk away from a vehicle if they if something like that crops up. That's our opinion. That's what Bill, we say, and uh, that's what we say. And that brings to a close our very special podcast, number 111, where we talked about our Motor Week Drivers' Choice Awards. Be sure and go take a look at all of our awards, plus our segments on the awards at motorweek.org or pbs.org slash motorweek. 
And I'd like to thank very much our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, for always standing by us and making sure we sound intelligent, despite what we might say. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and our producer extraordinaire with the bell, Patrick Lucas. And I hope you'll join us for our next Motor Week podcast, and be sure to watch Motor Week on both your public television stations and on Velocity. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks from all of us at Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.